2: Hello and welcome to Thought Talk Radio. My name is Neil Bradley. Your co-host tonight is Joe Quinn. And we've also got with us Pierre Lescaudron. Hello. And Laura Najadjik. Okay, uh, it's, um, Coming up on 50 years, hard to believe, half a century since the assassination of JFK. That day marked the day, well, it marked the day that America died. It was a tragedy for most Americans, of course, but also for ordinary people the world over. People who choose peace over war, equality over injustice, and happiness over greed. The assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy was pivotal in setting the United States on a current path towards doom. So this week on Salt Talk Radio, we're going to reflect on the life of a man who dreamed of a better world and was making that dream a reality until Assassin's Bullets killed the American dream that sunny November day in Dallas, Texas.
0: Where were you that day, Laura? Well, I was 11 years old. I was in my sixth grade classroom. Uh, The rest of the class had gone out to recess. I had to stay inside because I'd been sick and so I was allowed to sit in the classroom alone and watch television and I was watching television and the news report came on and it was very shocking and I ran outside to my teacher on the playground and I said to him "Uh, you'll never believe what just came on the news he said the president's been shot the president's been shot and he thought I was joking and i said i'm not joking it's it's real it's on the, it was on the news i'm watching tv it's on the news and he came running inside and the class came running inside and everybody in the whole school can, you know came running inside their classrooms from recess and it was just terrible it was just really really terrible we just sat there in stunned silence the whole rest of the day until we went home on the school bus watching the news and learning that the president had died it was um it was devastating it was You know, personally, I mean, everybody was crying.
3: Everybody was crying. Yeah, what is interesting when you ask people who are alive at the time, where were you when you learned about GFK's death? It's been 50 years ago now, but they all still remember very well this moment.
0: I don't think anybody could forget it. I'm I'm 61 years old now, and, and I still grieve what happened that day I mean it it still evokes in me a very strong emotional reaction and uh, and the more I have learned about John Kennedy even in the face of the defamers and slanderers and libelers and uh, you know filthy minded people who have tried to uh, blacken his memory and uh, make him look like he was a psychopath or whatever you know the more I've learned about him from actually researching the topic the more uh, grievous, I realized that day actually was. It, was. it was literally the day when John Kennedy was assassinated and the American people did not rise up in mass and demand an accounting, of true accounting. Uh, that was the day that the American conscience was killed. That was the day uh, that, ever, that America died.
3: It reminds me of Walter Cronkite mentioning to one of his colleagues that the schools, the, the children at school requiring so much that they had to cancel class and send the children back to their house. And it makes me wonder how come children who don't know this much about politics, about uh, all what is going on, uh, reacted with such intensity. And uh, maybe on a subtle level, unconscious level, a lot of human beings knew what was going on, knew that it was the literally the beginning of the end for them and for the others.
2: Yeah, in in the historical narrative that's grown up around that time, not just the event itself, but JFK's legacy and what his administration achieved and didn't achieve, you it's always, nearly always filtered through this sort of texture of, oh well, it was a very polarizing presidency. He wasn't popular in all quarters and Not everybody understood him or liked him and so on and so forth. But it's clear that the vast majority of ordinary people understood him, even if they didn't understand sometimes what he was saying, because it would have been a pretty high brow for a lot of people. I think, Pierre, you're onto something when you say instinctively. They knew he was a good man. And you
3: kind of please everybody. In a world that presents such a duality with a small elite oppressing the majority of the people either you please the elite or you please the people and GFK was one of very very few leaders who genuinely was trying and did actually serve the people and therefore he had to threaten the privileges of the elites
0: yeah and it's, it's very uh, reminiscent of the assassination of Julius Caesar and how uh, you know, the assassin Brutus claimed he was doing it for freedom, and what it really was, it was the freedom of the oligarchy to continue to oppress the masses and steal their stuff, and uh, you know, own everything and let everybody else starve. You know, the one percent versus the ninety-nine percent, or possibly even—I I don't even think in Rome that it was one percent; it was a percentage of one percent. Um, and I think that what has happened in the U.S. since the assassination of John Kennedy has been very similar to what happened in Rome, uh, though in a, you know, a slightly different, more technological fashion, after what happened to Caesar. Uh, we are really approaching um, an imperium if something else doesn't happen. We don't know what's going to happen.
3: And the similarities between those two statesmen are striking. And actually, the magazine Fortune, titled in 19. Uh, In April, right after the steel crisis, U.S. steel company uh, uh, was raising the prices. Kennedy fought against these uh, illegal practices and won. But then he he became a a clear enemy of the industries, of the businessmen, and Fortune titled Kennedy, the Ides of April.
0: The Ides of April.
3: Ides of April.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Very interesting, yeah. So there was a and there was a, a similar defamation campaign that was instituted against Kennedy uh following his death that uh, was very reminiscent of the one that was instituted against Julius Caesar including you know very slanderous uh claims about sexual proclivities and uh you know horsing around and getting it on with every woman doing the the Don Juan number 7 days a week or whatever and whether or not John Kennedy actually you know had affairs, uh, I can't really say it seems that it's possible that he did. There's certainly people who have come forward and said he did. but just recently, his medical records were released uh, from you know these among the records that had been sequestered for the last fifty years and I just read the article about it recently, and apparently, according to his medical records, he was in constant pain for years and years and years, and he was uh, receiving treatments, injections, he had uh, you know drugs to help him keep going, drugs to help him sleep, drugs to help him control the pain and we're talking about you know major pain and I can tell you right now based on his medical records and having been uh, in in that well maybe not even that kind of pain but having suffered from rheumatoid arthritis since I was nine years old I know that when you're in pain and you're on the medications that keep you going so you can function in spite of pain getting romantic is kinda of like the last thing you feel like doing either uh, inclinationally or nor do you have the real ability to do no, it. No, functionally, no. Functionally, yeah. So, I mean, there's a huge uh, problem with his medical records vis-a-vis his, uh, the claims about his romantic escapades. I mean, this man couldn't have been doing that stuff for crying all night. Yeah,
1: he had He suffered from colitis, prostatitis, and a disorder called Addison's disease, which affects the blood's ability to regulate blood, sugar, and sodium. Uh, He also had osteoporosis of the lower back, causing pain so severe that he was unable to perform simple tasks, such as reaching across his desk to pull papers forward, or pulling the shoe and sock onto his left foot. That's according to um, historian Robert Dalek, who had access to his medical records. And uh, what he did... Is all the more
3: impressive when you know the amount of suffering he had to cope with. But just to go back to this womanizing accusation, even if JFK had mistresses, even if Cesar had mistresses, the people who point the finger the elite, are the very ones who delight into these now extensively documented pedophile rings, including torture or other sacrificial rituals. So the, well, the asymmetry, the man, you know?
2: the man who accused JFK, this all began with Hoover. This was a guy who had sex parties with men only invited. So you can deduct from that what exactly he was getting involved. And at a time when it was, I think, illegal, if not, it would have, been, it would have cost him his job anyway.
0: Well, he was hunting down homosexuals he was, yeah. in his day job and partying with them. You know, And, and he,
2: he was using rumors of homosexuality against others to blackmail them. Yeah. So they, he teamed up with Johnson, the vice president, to get both Kennedy brothers blackmailed. And the way they did it was they would, go, they would uh, maybe send a message through someone else saying, it's okay, we know about so-and-so. For example, there was one time when Hoover personally went to the White House uh, with photos of JFK leaving a house as a senator just before he got elected, leaving the house of of someone else, of a young woman. And Hoover would say to him, like, it's okay, we're on top of things, you know. It's safe with us. (laughs) And he did this over and over and over again especially uh, in this case on the two Kennedys, this is the source of the womanizing claims. And this is probably how they boxed um, the Kennedys into having to accept Lyndon Johnson as That's, the vice president. Right,
0: right. And, and, and making a claim like that or a threat like that, you know we've got a photograph of you leaving someone else's house, and you know, John Kennedy knew that even if nothing had happened, and I'm not saying it did or it didn't, I don't know, but considering his condition, the likelihood of there being much in the way of hanky-panky was, uh, you know, whatever it was, it was extremely mild. Um, with with Addison's disease and the circulatory problems, um, you know, it's it's just not too likely that there was a lot going on, if there was anything. But he knew, you know, he was realistic enough to know that this could be blown up and made into a very big thing. So it could be used, just the fact that he was leaving you know, a certain person's house could be
3: used. And I think, you, Neil, you mentioned an important point, compromises. And um, sometimes we have an idealistic vision of the president's role of JFK, but we have to keep in mind that he uh, was really between the rock and the hard place. He had to fight every minute against the establishment, against the CIA, the FBI, the generals, the businessman, to make his way. So he had to make some compromise, he had to throw a bone to the dog. Uh, He did agree with some uh, covert sabotage operation in Cuba. He did agree to some extent with a coup d'état against uh, Diem in Vietnam. But all the time, every decision had to take into account those pressures.
1: He didn't really. In Vietnam, he didn't do it. That wasn't him who uh, was involved in, in, in... What
0: was the story on that?
1: Well, it was, it was the people behind him. It was his generals. I can't remember the name of the guys in particular, but he was betrayed, basically. He wanted to uh, promote...
0: I read that he was shocked when he yeah, heard that exactly. Dam had been... He, no, he, he
1: wanted Dam to be the leader of the country, and, and Dam was overthrown by, by the CIA, essentially. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Against his wishes, against JFK's wishes.
0: Well, like, for example, if you read uh, James Douglas's book, uh, JFK and the Unspeakable, uh, if your heart doesn't break when you read the passage about the exchanges between uh, John Kennedy and Nikita Khrushchev and how they defused the Cuban Missile Crisis between them by communicating directly with each other rather than allowing their spy masters and their generals to handle things and how you know basically he, he they averted between the two of them they averted a nuclear war at a time when you know it could have been absolutely mutually assured destruction you know mad so uh, just reading that tells you that you know at some point even if John Kennedy got into office with the help of the mob as is fairly well known because his father Used a lot of money, spread a lot of money around among the mob, and you know that helped get a, get him elected. And that, even saying that tells us something about elections in the U.S. As far back as then, that they were completely manipulated events. So if anybody thinks that the uh, American people actually elect their president, uh, just please think again. But in any event, his father did help him get into it, the presidency, and I think John Kennedy, once he got there. You know he he thought about things he saw he may have had a briefing. He may have realized what the situation was. He may have gotten himself into power because he wanted to fix things. He may have had a change of heart of some of some sort uh James Douglas seems to think that he was uh that he had a change of heart that he saw things that he realized things that he had a conscience, and his conscience began to bother him, and he also looked at his children, you know who he knew would inherit whatever. He did, and this affected him profoundly. So, you know, we don't know exactly all of the details. We may never know the details, but there are certainly enough uh, biographies written, you know, each one providing a different perspective and different details that we can sort of piece the uh, picture together and come to the conclusion that there is no way in hell John Kennedy was a psychopath. As uh, who was it that said that? It was the same guy who uh, who thinks psychopaths are the are the new man, right?
2: Yeah, I think it was somebody building on the study. There was a guy, Kevin Dutton. Kevin Dutton came out with a book about some of the great qualities of psychopaths we should aspire to. You know, like leadership and decisiveness.
0: Like leadership <laughs> and decisiveness cannot belong to a non-psychopath. I mean, that's.
2: Yeah, that, that, That's
0: jaw-dropping.
2: That was the implication. Somebody took that and ran with it and did a kind of a diagnostic of the last 50 presidents. And JFK came out number one. Number one, eh? The best, i.e. the most psychopathic president the United States has
0: Yeah, had. and of course they were basing their assessment on you know, his leadership and dynamic you know, decision-making qualities and a whole... You know, boatload of slurs and smears and BS information provided by that slimeball J. Edgar Hoover.
2: Exactly. Um, if there was, I mean, we're not sure about this, but if there was a psychopath in that administration, Lyndon Baines Johnson, this guy was
0: that, was. that man was evil. Pure uh-huh. evil. Pure evil. And so you know he was complicit.
2: The way he wormed his way into the administration to begin with, the, the pressure he put them under constantly. And the thing, some of the things that Robert Kennedy said immediately after, um, directly to, he, he, he confronted Lyndon the day after at the White House. And the conversation was overheard by a photographer. And he captured the moment where Lyndon Lin, puts on a pitiful face, you know, like, what are you saying? And Robert apparently had punched a, a pillar. To, in order to avoid punching Lyndon in the face. And he, he cried out to him, why did you have my brother killed? So Robert knew right away. Yeah. I suspect.
0: Yeah, and there's an article recently where he also, his son says that his father believed that the CIA was also very, very much involved in the assassination of of his father, Bobby Kennedy, and obviously John Kennedy. So, yeah, it, yeah but LBJ had to be complicit because the first thing he did when he got into office was reverse... All of the you know yeah. peace-oriented maneuvers that JFK had made, and you know began the turning the wheels of the cover-up.
1: And, yeah. yeah, but there's a lot. There's a lot of people who, uh, over the years, there's been a lot of uh, people who've written books and published articles, and they've even had what do you call them? Um, uh, what do you call that talk talk show host? Um,
0: Geraldo.
1: Geraldo had a, had. Uh, back in the 90s, I think, had three, uh, Jim Mars and two other guys who had written books on it, and one of them had written a book that was basically saying that Johnson did it. And um, the, so, so that makes me a bit suspicious when the focus is only on, you know, Lin- Johnson. LBJ did it, because obviously the idea that uh, U.S. presidents are just kind of essentially ceremonial titular kind of heads holds true and has held true for a long time and the real power structures are behind them. So to focus it all on the president uh, for me doesn't tell the whole story and doesn't reveal the whole truth about the nature of of the power structure within the US and who really pushes the buttons or pulls the strings. And you're talking about I mean there's the big oil Texans, Texan oil men and the FBI and Hoover and and the CIA are all over this behind the scenes type of thing. So certainly Johnson couldn't have done it on his own.
0: Oh, of course not. Um,
1: or couldn't. I, w- I would say that he wasn't even the 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 main player. He was. He was certainly. Uh, he went along with it. He was complicit in it. He was happy for it to uh, to happen because uh, he got to be president, obviously. But.
0: And he made the, promises that if you do it, this is what I'll do for you.
1: Well, yeah, and he realized he had to hold of those promises, which points directly to where the, mm-hmm. the real power exact exactly. is. Exactly. Well, you imme- yeah. immediately pro- from the next to Johnson, you have
2: Johnson's attorney, who was attorney for his, uh, his whole career as a senator in Texas before he we went into government. Um, there, there, there is sworn testimony that one guy, I think it was Clint Murchison, who basically ran Texas, that was the quote mm-hmm. the quote from them, said he expected from Johnson eight million dollars spread over his two terms as president. That was
1: Clark, Edward Clark, LBJ. Edward Clark, Clark. Yes, Clark.: that's right. He big, was a big Texas millionaire.:: he, No, he no, expected, he, no he was, Well, he, he was the, Johnson's legal counsel for uh, most of Johnson's political career. Yes, and then afterwards he was brought into government, and he was the, Johnson made him the ambassador to Australia. But he was part of it as Johnson's legal counsel through those years of the Kennedy assassination and stuff. So he wanted yeah eight million, and yes, he didn't get it because Johnson because Johnson China died. fell, well, off,
2: the, fell he, off the yeah he resigned
1: yeah in the second term. So, but
2: he ended. He still ended up getting six million. So we know yeah. somebody was from, That one person at one removed from yeah. Johnson was paid six million so, for doing so his part. So we have a yeah.
0: so we have a guy who was complicit in the assassination of an American president who was. Given the uh, uh, plum job of being an ambassador to Australia as compensation for his for his evil doing, yeah, and, and that's kind of how government works. Well, he yeah. only got and six million
1: dollars. He only got four, and then whenever mm-hmm. um, when Johnson uh, resigned, he went to the. I think it was he went to um, Clint Murkison. Marcus. Marcus yeah. Another millionaire. Uh, the, well, the million, the, the oil barons in Texas who were all involved in the assassination said, "Listen, where's the rest of my money?" And they give them an extra two. Mm-hmm. So they were the kind of money man, and they were the, the the motivators behind it. But I mean, it's all tied up with the whole kind of. It, it's tied up with the FBI and the CIA, and uh, I mean, there's all sorts of different threads throughout this kind of conspiracy. It involves the mm. the, the anti Cuban groups that the CIA had been running, you know, as possibly part of it or being on the scene. You know, so it it goes. The
0: mob, yeah,
1: the mob were in there. Assad, probably. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I think something needs to be said at this point regarding
2: all these different groups and threads. Over the years, it's lost a lot of people. At least they've lost their interest in in continuing to research it because there is a lot of plausible evidence any which way you look, and you can't form a cohesive argument for this group, that group, or maybe a combination of those two. The thing is all of them overlap, the, the, the boundaries really blur. I mean, where does the mob end and the CIA begin? Yeah, it doesn't.
1: The CIA is a mob. The CIA is a well, mafia. What is the mob? Always been...
2: Organized crime. Well, Jesus, organized
1: crime, yeah. that's the state. And well, the, the mob in America is, is organized crime, you know, in America predominantly, but on uh, the CIA is organized crime around the world. And there is one
3: common denominator between the mob, the CIA, the FBI, the businessman, Dallas police, Texas Police, the Secret Service, because they all have evidence against them. And a lot of those evidence are valid. They're all part of this elite that was the target that was threatened by Kennedy. And therefore, Kennedy became their target. And they all participated. They all brought what they could bring to the plot to assassinate GSK.
0: Well, it's like like when they assassinated Julius Caesar they they had 60 conspirators and they all had a knife and they were all supposed to stab him at least one time and by the time it was done it was what 23 wounds 35 35, Stabs. 35 wounds. Stabs. 35 wounds. one little so 35 uh, people actually <coughs> stabbed so I mean we, we may assume that this the, the whole thing was set up to spread the guilt spread the responsibility to implicate everybody so nobody would rat out anybody else
1: yeah or well, they threw in groups over the years people have disseminated information or put information out there pretending to be conspiracy theorists just to muddy the waters to put people off on you know to, to make it so confusing that people go my god you know this is it sounds a bit crazy you know to, to try and run it off the tracks when people come out with ever more outlandish mm. explanation Throw in more and more groups you know but at some point you know if you look at it you've got pretty much every almost every major you know actor on <laughs> in the world yeah. stage is involved in it you know what well, that's unlikely you know but that just muddies the water and makes it a bit less credible for a lot of people it's like they throw their hands up and say
0: well i've read two books uh... i read one book and watched a video by two different individuals both of whom claimed that they fired the kill shot Yeah. One was a French intelligence uh, person, and the other was uh, this guy that's being promoted as the you know the assassin of J.FK and he's in some prison up in uh, the Netherlands or something and or maybe he's in prison in the u S. and the guy who's promoting this particular theory is in the Netherlands, but uh, there's two two people that I've read that they claim who have been the one who fired the kill shot.
1: Yeah, I'd be suspicious of that, though, because people are still Absolutely. alive and can make that claim. Suddenly, it's, I mean, attention-seeking, essentially. I killed JFK and I'm still alive. I think the people who killed who fired the shots are dead. Now, I'm pretty sure there's, well, there's some pretty hard evidence that uh, the person who actually fired a shot from the Texas Schoolbook Depository uh, is dead um, because LBJ... Johnson had a a long history of criminality, of having people bumped off. Um,
0: And this guy was a U.S. president, a criminal.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. He he had he had been involved in in, you know legal scandals uh, for many years before he.
0: And his daughter had such a lovely wedding in the White House. Yeah. I mean, they acted like normal people.
1: But he had a he had a hitman, a guy called Malcolm Wallace professional from austin texas and he was murdered in uh, 1951 and he was at the time dating johnson's daughter so there's a, there's a suggestion there that, johnson's sister johnson's sister sorry so there's a suggestion at the time that for whatever reason johnson didn't like this guy dating his sister so he had him killed this is the kind of caliber of person mm-hmm. you're talking about so and that murder was while he was vice president yeah yeah and johnson's uh, sister had the tendency to
3: talk a lot and she was using substance and uh, yeah. Revealing
1: information. So this guy, the LBJ's hitman, Malcolm Wallace, um, when they, the police went to the Texas School Book Depository after the murder and went up and found this supposed sniper's nest, uh, they basically dusted the pl- place for fingerprints and kept everybody who had been there in that floor of the building and took all their prints and disqualified them. So they were left with one print. And that print... Um, was then it was on a box right beside the sniper's nest. It was taken from a box right beside where the, the shooting uh, occurred, and it, that print was then locked away in the national archives for 35 years, until 1998, when an investigator in the U.S. got it and dug up a, a fingerprint, a matching fingerprint from Malcolm Wallace uh, from the the records office in, in Texas, or whatever, and gave it to um give it to a fingerprint a a long-term fingerprint uh uh, this was a guy who was an expert in this yeah 30 some years
2: in the u.s military this was his job to match you know to check out fingerprints yeah he got a a
1: near near perfect match yeah it was it was the the highest score you can get yeah a guy who a a qualified certified latent print examiner Okay. you. okay.
4: Do we have a call? Do we have a call? I'm just listening. All right. All right. All right. Good. Good.
0: Okay,
3: anyway, we're talking about JFK, yeah. About Wallace and uh, the sniper nest, another inconsistency in the official story that he well, So Okay, yeah, I haven't finished that story.
1: Okay. Um,
0: I, w- I would like to know when we actually got cut off because, uh, you know, it's getting just really, really interesting that every time we get on a really uh, hot mm-hmm. topic, uh, we get knocked off. and It's we have a bit of a pattern. Yeah, it's getting to be a real pattern, and I would really like to know what was said last. Well, we were
1: just talking with this guy, Malcolm Wallace, and the fact that there's a fingerprint taken from the Texas School Book Depository, the only fingerprint that could not be identified, and it was taken away by the FBI, and it was uh, hidden. It Been languished, languished in, the, in, the, in the vault for 35 years until 1998, when someone got access to it and got a, a copy of LBJ's hitman, uh, Malcolm Wallace, and gave it to a highly qualified certified latent print examiner along with this the other fingerprint from nineteen fifty one from a 1951 murder that Wallace was involved in and they were an exact match. That's kind of a slam dunk. I mean basically
0: I mean, that... whoever was in the school book depository was definitely definitely not Lee Harvey Oswald. No. It was somebody else who was just there to be firing a shot to make it look like somebody was there uh, as an assassin, to draw attention away from the fact that the actual assassins doing the doing the killing were elsewhere, like on the uh, overpass and the on the grassy knoll. Well, no, I uh, because I don't not, think anybody could have ma- could have gotten off a, a shot that would have killed Kennedy from that school. But possibly, maybe. Story. I mean. Uh... Mutually
1: exclusive. It, it might have been, it was difficult but um, it's possible, I mean the trajectory of the bullet was kind of downward from behind so it did come from an elevated position behind the motorcade.
0: Yeah, but there were other bullets that came, I mean the, the one front. that took the back of his head off yeah. came from the front. No,
1: of course, yeah, yeah. But, but the thing being that... And the one you know, that
0: shot him in the throat? <clears> yeah.
2: Well, there are a few things here. The, the important point we were making as we got cut off is that the only evidence of somebody being in that sniper's rifle nest. Uh, yeah. Sniper's nest. Sniper's nest, as they call it. And on the sixth floor of the school book depository was a known hitman, hitman, with at least 17 murders to his name, of a personal hitman of Lyndon B. Johnson. Yes. And
0: Lyndon were, B. W- Johnson was basically a criminal who was made president of the United States. People, your president was a freaking criminal.
3: And the way they connected the, this place, the shooting nest, to L.A. Oswald, was because of the rifle, this Manishar Carcano 6.5. But in the beginning of the story, in evidence of revision, you see the historic documents. The first reports mention a Mauser 765, and the Manlicher Carcano is only replaced later in official narrative. And the only 6.5 bullet found is not found in the body of gsk It's found on the, how do you call that, the, on the, the bed, t- transport on the transportation bed. Yeah, where well, um, they found red, him on
0: the on the stretcher in the, in the, in the hospital. In the
3: stretcher, yeah. Somebody okay. just
0: walked in there and, and took it out of it. their pocket and dropped it there. Oh, this bullet just fell right out yeah. of
1: him. Yeah, so it's it's so full of inconsistencies and really obvious. I mean, just talking about the trajectory, someone fired from behind and hit hit Kennedy in the back, on the upper back, and it went through his body. And this magic bullet thing also is a bit dubious because uh, that might be a bit of a red herring because. People have assumed that Connolly was sitting right in front of JFK at the same height, but Connolly was actually sitting more to the left. He was in a jump seat in front of him, which is a smaller seat, and it was pushed to the left, so it was slightly—it was to the front and left of where Kennedy was, and it was also about three inches lower than he was. So, based on that configuration, it's possible that it, there was no need for a, <coughs> for a magic bullet—that's the same bullet that went through Kennedy and through his uh, his upper back could have done the damage to Connolly.
2: Yeah, we, we should probably explain a little here for any of the young uns like me who are fairly new to this. I couldn't believe when I first heard this. The official story of Lee Harvey Oswald being a lone assassin of the President of the United States rests on this magic bullet. They call, that's their own term, they called it the magic bullet because it managed to create two wounds, an entrance and exit wound in Kennedy and then oh, two wounds in, Con- in Connolly went through his shoulder and into his wrist. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's but pe- to, that, to my mind immediately that was preposterous. Mm-hmm. But the whole case rests on that. It also rests on the story that they, they just wouldn't change. It was the first story, and they stuck with it. So they had to shape everything else around it. Is that there were three bullets, only three casings, three empty mm-hmm. cartridges mm-hmm. found in the sniper's nest, sitting perfectly lined up in a row on, on the window ledge, those three, and initially they said they found a Mauser. Then they went, oops, it was a different rifle because the Mauser was a .65, the bullets were .75. The bullets were from a different
1: gun. No, yeah. But they, they found a Mauser in the building. First, yeah, they they did. first The first, so they went success. and just went and grabbed the Mauser and said, oh, look, I found it. But then it turned out that the bullets didn't match the gun. Exactly. But they kind of covered that up. They didn't necessarily afterwards go and say, oh, we found another Italian rifle that matches oh. this. That, that was all.
3: No, the way they explained it, the way they said, oh, there was a a mistake in the identification of the gun because Manisha Carcano used the same mechanism as Mauser. But as uh, Roger Craig points out, the man who identified the Mauser 765 in first place was an expert in weapons. He owned for years a weapon store. So it was pretty obvious. It was written, actually, and the the expert showed the,
1: the other detectives Mauser. It was written on the barrel of the gun, Mauser. Yeah. He picked it up and said, somebody, one of the Dallas police chiefs was there, Well, grabbed the Mauser from, from the box, said, oh look, I found the gun, uh, and what does it look like? And this guy w- with the Dallas police, who was an expert in firearms, said, it looks like a Mauser to me. And then the, the police chief he found said, yep, you're right, look, it's written here, Mauser, right on the barrel. So that was, I mean, they can't change it afterwards. It was a Mauser, they found a Mauser, that was the gun and they found three bullets that don't match a Mauser. And the other thing with bullets is, is that there was a 45 caliber bullet that could yeah. not have been fired from either rifle, even if there were two, certainly not from a Mauser or the Italian one that, they, that the bullets matched, um, found on the road to the left of the limousine that hit a manhole, or hit the, 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 the concrete corner. surrounding a manhole, and a, uh, 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 what do you call it, a, uh, Secret Service agent was seen uh, by uh, another, um, another well, a member of the Dallas uh, policeman, a Dallas policeman, who was there, saw a Secret Service agent, pick it up and put it in his pocket and walk away. And that guy who saw him do that uh, a few years later died in a shootout. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the other thing about this case is that a lot of these people who have information that conflicts, directly contradicts the official story, have all died in rather mysterious circumstances, Edgar yeah. like Roger Craig, indeed. Roger Craig himself, in
3: 75, he was he received he died of a wound in the back inflicted by a rifle. Although he was owning two pistols, the conclusion was suicide.
0: Yeah, he shot himself in the back
3: with a rifle.
0: That's like that other guy, wasn't it, Gary? Somebody who committed suicide by sh- shooting himself twice in the head.
3: Gary Webb, yeah.
0: Gary Webb, yeah.
3: And the cold 45 story that there's a bit more about it because the witness, the lady, uh, she saw this uh, something like look, look like a bit like a, a mall mole um, excavation, you no, know, under the, the grass near the the sewage uh, um, concrete
0: manhole cover. Manhole
3: cover, and uh, she a detective came over. And the way he rationalized it, he said, yeah, there's a piece of the skull of the president that flew under the grass mm-hmm. and that made his shape.
2: Yeah, um, this clearly made us a long shape. They had clearly the, the story beforehand that was said was there would be three bullets. Hence, they had placed three ready to be found, three spent cartridges. But uh, this extra, initially they said three hit the president and Connolly. They had to reduce that to two, and this is where the magic bullet came in, because at least one of them missed completely, ricocheted off the street and hit a bystander. Further on, he was up at the underpass where the motorcade passed James Tate. and because he was hit, they couldn't say, "Well, there was something else." So that discounted one of the bullets, and mm-hmm. several witnesses we reported four Shot. shots, yeah. shots, and up to five and six.
1: Yeah.
2: So yeah, no matter no matter which way you which anger you're looking at it from, you can come away pretty satisfied that there at least was more than one shooter.
1: Yeah, what pisses me off a lot is that even to, to today, and there's a lot of news stories these past few weeks, and there'll be more leading up to the 50th, 50th anniversary next week, uh, that talk about or refer to conspiracy theories. And they think they're being so uh, open-minded by saying, well, you know, was there a conspiracy? Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't, you know, trying to find this kind of middle ground testing. When it's so goddamn obvious that the official story is complete and utter bullshit, and any person, you don't have to be a scientist, you don't have to be a forensic, ex- forensic expert to, to see it, because all you have to do is look at the, the video footage, and you see that Kennedy was clearly shot from the front right. I mean, anybody. I mean, you just you need to have a basic understanding of mechanics like if you've ever got hit in the head by a baseball or something like that, and your head goes in the direction opposite to the direction that the baseball came in. Everybody knows that. So when they see, there's there's certain aspects of human mechanics that everybody's familiar with because they have a human body and have experienced that themselves, and they know. So when you see someone's head going back and to the left, that means that something hit them on the front right. And that's what happened to Kennedy, and everybody knows it, yet they persist. And that means if the ball came from the front right, it didn't come from the Texas book, school uh, texas school book depository therefore it wasn't oswald but the media to today are still insisting that yeah these conspiracy theorists that's gone on for so long it's so strange that this kind of thing would still be discussed yeah because you've been lying blatantly and flagrantly in our faces for 50 years in the face of clearly observable facts and it's ridiculous i mean there's no explanation when you see the media doing that wasn't other there? than the fact that they're deliberately and consciously lying, unless they're complete and utter retards. I mean, I mean I'm mean, talking here about the ordinary person in the street. Supposedly a newscaster or an anchor or a journalist is more intelligent than the average person in the street, but the average person in the street can tell what happened, i.e. the bullet came from the front, therefore it wasn't Oswald. Yet supposedly journalists and stuff can't bring themselves to simply say that.
3: And you also have the Jackie Kennedy, you have to say. Uh unforgettable pictures of Jackie Kennedy crawling on the back of the limo you
0: know the order to of her pick up. head exactly yeah
3: that's basic physics the shot one of the shot this shot that went to the, the head of the president was shot from the front not from the back
0: yeah and she wanted to get the pieces put him back together I mean that's kind of instinctive
1: and um, yeah so I mean breaking yeah. a woman just uh, talking to this guy, Malcolm Wallace, who, who was in, undoubtedly was up there in the sniper's nest, i.e. not Oswald, LBJ's hitman was up there. Um, he died in a car accident one night in 1971. Uh, there are several other people who have, had, um, who have had access to information that have also died, like I was mentioning in the circumstances. One of them is um, a, a journalist called Dorothy Kilgallen. And she was the only one who who managed to get a private interview with Jack Ruby Ruby out of earshot of the police. And she never revealed fully what was said, but she was writing a book. Uh, The book was going to be called Murder One. But uh, she said that, and I'm quoting her here, she said, "...it appears that Washington knows or suspects something about Lee Harvey Oswald, but it does not want Dallas and the rest of the world to know or suspect." That was in 1964 she was that Lee Harvey Oswald has passed on not only to his shuddery reward, but to the mysterious realm of classified persons whose whole story is known only to a few government agents. Why is Oswald being kept in the shadows as dim a figure as they can make him while the defense tries to rescue his alleged killer with the help of information from the FBI? Who was Oswald anyway? So she was writing a book. Uh, she said that she had information, that she was... Uh, had gleaned from uh, her interview with Ruby, with Jack Ruby, and she said she was about to blow the JFK case sky high. Uh, The book, however, was never released because she was found dead in her New York City apartment on November 8th, 1965, of an accidental overdose in the early hours of the morning. The cause of death was a potent mix of alcohol and barbiturates, but as so many who died in connection to the assassination... Her abrupt passing was suspicious. There are several clues that were f- pretty flagrant. Uh, I, won't, I won't go on about, about her in particular, but she's just one of many who have all uh, died in mysterious circumstances because apparently they had information, readily available information, really, but maybe she, people who were in a position to actually disseminate it somehow yeah. widely, you know, mm-hmm. had a bit of a reputation, or she was a journalist, so she could have maybe, she was going to write a book. Um, But this guy, Malcolm Wallace, he was pretty clearly bumped off because there were strange circumstances around his car crash in the night in 1971. And um, so that, to me, suggests not only are they bumping off people who would expose what actually went on, uh, the truth about the assassination, but the people involved in it as well. Any of the patsies, in the sense of, obviously, Oswald was the patsy. He was bumped off. Jack Ruby was the same. Uh, But also the people who were involved in it, the lower-level shooters and stuff, they thought they would get protection, but you know it comes to the point where it's, it's well. These guys, yeah, these <laughs> guys are a bit of a liability. Very they're expensive. Sure. Yeah, they're and higher level too.
0: And that's the side. case
3: of DeMarrinchi is interesting. Yes. DeMarrinchi was a CIA asset, nicknamed the Baron, and he was the babysitter in CIA of Oswald. DeMarrinchi realized that he had been uh, manipulated too, and. Uh, a few days before testifying in front of the Select House committee
2: he died of a heart attack supposedly actually on the day i think he died of a gunshot wound of a gunshot wound i, 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 I think yeah. he supposedly <coughs> swallowed a shotgun on the day his he
3: his was to testify yes. a rifle in his mouth mm-hmm. which is a difficult uh, trick to
2: do and they investigated and the ruling was suicide suicide yeah however we know it's not suicide, or we strongly suspect it, is because he had a special alarm system in his house, um, and he was being monitored. And those the recordings of his phone conversations, um, not not just phone conversations. There was an actual his house was tapped in a way that any sound emanating could be picked up, and this was leaked at some point. And you can hear the very moment you can hear uh, a door or a sliding. French windows open, and the alarm's going. It's set at medium level, so it just goes beep, 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 beep and then boom. Someone on. came in. Someone came in and killed him.
0: I read a I read an article the other day where somebody revealed a letter that Schultz wrote to his close friend George Bush, Sr
2: that's right they went to school together
0: and uh... you know a relative of his went to school together there was there was some uh, familial association and he wrote asking george bush senior to call off the dogs from harassing him and surrounding him and so forth and then i read the copy of the letter that george bush senior wrote back to him basically the coldest letter i have ever read in my life it was it was like I don't know what you're talking about. I don't think there's anybody, you know, uh, following you or closing in on you or harassing you or, you know, uh, you know, I'm really sorry you've had such a rough time and, you know, problems with your wife, your daughter died, you know, oh, tragic, tragic, but, uh, you know, nothing's going on. You're Mm. not being followed. You're not being harassed. You're not being tailed. You're not being pressured in any way. And then, boom, he ends up eating a bullet. This was 1975, and Bush had just become
2: director of the Central Intelligence Agency. 76, 76, he was about to become. Yeah, so um, if you haven't seen it yet, you must. Evidence of Revision, it's an incredible montage, if you like, with some narration of archival footage. Some of it, you know, is pretty readily available. You, You might recognize it from other documentaries, from...
0: But it's all put together and put together. Yeah, it makes the case and it's about 10 hours of footage and you'll never forget watching it because you will see the actual news shows that appeared at the time. Uh, You'll see Walter Cronkite announcing that, oh, you know, the gun that they first announced that was being used has now been changed. It's really this kind of gun and. Uh, you know, all of these various things that uh, happened as it happened. These uh, the, these video clips are amazing, amazing mm. historical
3: footage. And uh, this documentary, Evidence of Revision, also shows the pattern. JFK, Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy, and uh, Martin Luther King. Yeah. You know, how those uh, heroes put down one after the other, according to similar models apparently, and uh, the guilty ones, were never
1: identified.
0: Yeah, you can get it on Amazon.
1: Yeah, what people don't understand what's really, I think what makes it so monstrous is that there is no evidence whatsoever to link the Harvey Oswald to the assassination of JFK. There's none. Not only is there no evidence to link him to it in any direct way, there's evidence that other people, as we've just been discussing, that other people were responsible, yet, Look it up on Wikipedia or look it up, you know, wherever. Look it up in the media. Listen to the media talk about it. And Lee Harvey Oswald did it. And they they perpetuated this myth with no evidence whatsoever. No one can produce evidence. So it's not based on evidence. It's based on hearsay at this point. It's based on propaganda with nothing to support it. And at the time, it's kind of interesting because at the time, Walter Cronkite read out a statement from the Russians, uh, a Russian attaché, in, in Washington, I think his name was Valentin Zoran, and Walter Cronkite read out the statement, and that was the official statement from the, the Russians about the assassination. And I actually have a, an audio of it here, and I'll just let you listen to it. It's quite short.
5: So radio yeah. commentator Valentin Zoran, one of their respected, as far as the Soviet goes, mouthpieces of the Kremlin, is trying to counter charges on Moscow radio that President Kennedy was a victim of a leftist fanatic. He has said, those who know how the security of President Kennedy is organized know that it is not possible for a fanatic to commit such an assassination. A political crime thoroughly prepared and planned has taken place, Valentin Zorin says. And this terribly inflammatory statement by one of the kingpins of Soviet propaganda in Moscow, he went on to say, quote, It is not accidental that it took place in the southern states, which are well known as a stronghold of racist and other fascist scum. It is precisely here that Goldwater, referring, of course, to Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater, who is one of the contenders for the presidency, gets his support. We repeat, in case anybody could mistake the import of these words, that this is Soviet propaganda broadcast by Moscow radio commentator Valentin Zorin. Doran went on to charge that the president's slaying was inspired by forces opposed to President Kennedy's policy of improving relations with the Soviet Union. This is Governor.
1: So there you have a kingpin of American propaganda uh, highlighting or reporting the truth from the Soviets and calling it Soviet propaganda uh, when the Soviets actually were pretty much on the money at the time and it was, you know, it, did, it didn't need to be, They were okay, they were a superpower, but really I think most countries in the world, in terms of at that at the political level, most people there knew what was happening. I mean, anybody who had kept their finger on the pulse and saw what was going on in America would have automatically seen what the truth was. Yet, you had people like Walter Cronkite, a kingpin of propaganda, um, much loved, unfortunately. Um Disseminating lies and propaganda to the American people and you know instilling in them
0: the conviction the, that the, the, the Soviets were were blaming uh, some kind of government conspiracy mm-hmm. for God's sakes
1: never for the
0: assassination of the president and they were telling the absolute cold
3: truth mm-hmm. and yep. at the same time the, the perpetrators of the assassination were framing Oswald as an assassin. His motive was the, this communist cause that they had totally fabricated. At the same time, Russia was trying to cancel or to stop the assassination. There is this case of Nagel, this double agent, KGB CIA agent, who heard about the assassination plan and who managed, managed to, not to cancel it, but to delay it. Because apparently the first attempt was scheduled for September 63 in Washington, D.C. And uh, actually, you managed to get it delayed. And uh, you have Oswald, who was planning to go to Washington, D.C., who canceled this trip because the plan was canceled, uh, the assassination plan, and who finally moved to Dallas for the, the fourth of day, 22nd of November. Mm-hmm. So The Russians had absolutely no interest in pulling down uh,
2: Kennedy. And yet they went to extraordinary efforts to, to sheep dip Oswald as this leftist. I mean, they had to try and get whatever possible uh, leftist credentials out of Oswald as they could. So, well, this is where it gets a bit weird. Three years before, Oswald defects from the U.S. Well, he, he quits the U.S. Marine Corps. He gets a dishonorable discharge and he goes to Russia, which in those days was not exactly common, and not easy. He's allowed in, yeah. so he must have had help to get in. He works, he gets married there, his children. He re- he renounces his U.S. citizenship. I think early in early 1963, on the summer, just a few months before mm-hmm. he returns
1: to the U.S. and gets in with no problem after no defecting, problem. get
3: passport and money. But uh, worse than that, he had made. Public, the fact that he had been a radar operator mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the U.S. Army yeah. and that he disclosed all the information, really, but he had a a higher than top secret clearance in the U.S. Army and re- revealed in particular the U2 um, data. Mm-hmm. And despite this major treason, when he came back to the U.S., he didn't go to jail. No, he was given a passport. He was given money. Mm-hmm. He was listed on the FBI pay list. Two hundred euros month, and he was
2: babysitted by the CIA. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: he
2: was a CIA, and it didn't end there. It It didn't end there. They went to even. They had him hand out flyers on behalf of the Fair Fair Play for Cuba Committee, which is a kind of a grass well, ostensibly a grassroots uh, anti-war pro, not anti-pro. I mean, they just basically were against the defamation, the attacks that were coming out against Cuba because they have a successful revolution, so he gets himself, you know, attached onto this group. He's publicly, you know, making a show of handing out flyers on behalf of this group in the middle of New Orleans, which, from the movie JFK, we see he was doing it in the street corner, surrounded by the officers to of the CIA. To attract attention. Yeah. To attract to be seen. Look at me, I'm a lefty. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he's a member of the Civil Air Patrol. At the same time, he's hanging out with the Cuban group set up by the CIA for landing further Bay of Pigs type invasions in Cuba
0: and supposedly also, don't forget this, according to Judith Berry Baker he was involved in some kind of cancer project to find some way to uh... uh inoculate uh, Fidel Castro with c- a
1: cancer mm-hmm. although you know, it wasn't anti-Castro, it was pro-Castro, the fair play for cancer I
2: yes, sorry, yeah, you know.
1: yeah. So, so, yeah, I
2: mean, it gets right. The, the The implication being, oh, here's a guy who's an extreme lefty, and he wanted to kill the president because what? I mean, the the other thing apart from being a so-called romanizer, the thing they hit Kennedy with repeatedly was that he was a communist. Mm-hmm. So how does it fly that another communist killed him?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, didn't
1: well, that, that you know, they don't try and make sense of that kind of stuff, you know. But um, it, it seems to me that it was being set up. Or one part of the plan was that it was being set up to lay the blame on a anti-American, pro-Soviet uh, defector who
0: who, who managed to come back to the country, didn't get charged with treason. Yeah. They gave him a new passport, even though he had renounced his citizenship. Gave him some money. You know, set him up on the payroll, you know, handed him over to George chill to be his babysitter, uh, basically paved his way to go right down there to the street corner in New Orleans, right in full sight of the CIA, the FBI, whoever, and uh, apply his trade as a, uh, a, a defective defector, mm-hmm. uh, pro-Castro. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. See what you yeah. What's interesting, Tommy is, Pinko. Yeah, what's interesting is if you think about what was going on, if the plan was to essentially sheep dip him, this, him in this way and to uh, – I mean I, I tend to think that he, his mind was messed with in some way a la MK Ultra, at some point that he was uh, to some extent uh, mind-controlled.
0: Yeah, like but, Sirhan Sirhan.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it, he, he sent to Russia – or he's told, I mean, he's a dupe, he's he's gullible, he's naive, he's impressionable type of thing. So he told, okay, you're working for the CIA, we need you to go to Russia to act as our spy. But your cover is that you're a defector and you love Russia, you love the Soviet Union, you hate America. So they send him off there and he gets there and he tells the story to the Russians. And the Russians say, okay, yeah, sounds interesting, but, you know, we've kind of heard it before and we're a bit suspicious that you're bullshitting us and that you're a double agent. That's the first thing you're going to think of, right? Then they think, okay, well, maybe we think that, but let's play along with this game because we might get some information from him. We'll keep an eye on him. We won't let him do anything uh, that serious. may damage us or get access to any sense of information, and we'll just see what, see what happens. And hey, you never know. We may turn him, right? So they start playing this game, and it's a mind game, and a few steps down the line, it gets so complicated that nobody knows what this guy is doing or not doing or whose side he is on or whatever but the thing that that blows that whole thing open in a sense or goes way beyond that, is, and I think this is what the Russians didn't understand necessarily at the time when they had Oswald was that they were thinking that if anything Oswald was a spy for the Americans mm. pretending to be a spy for the Russians. What they didn't conceive of at, at the time was that Oswald was being sent to Russia to be set up by the Americans to kill the American president. You know, I mean, exactly. They would have thought that if what the Americans, what are the Americans going to to do with their spies in Russia? They're going to try and overthrow the government, stir up some trouble, do something that's going to affect Russia. They probably didn't conceive of the fact that this person was in Russia for a very specific purpose, and it had nothing to do with Russia. Mm-hmm. It had everything to do with killing the American president. Who, would ever, What Russian would ever have thought of that? What, what Soviet, anything, agent, politi- politician, whatever, would have ever conceived of the idea that, mm. that he was being used to kill an American president, not a Russian uh, politician or president or whatever?
3: When you read um, A Secret holder by uh, Al Reddy, Uh, He made an extensive study of uh, Oswald's life right from his uh, birth. And you see that uh, Oswald's life every step almost is surrounded by CIA and all mind-control things. The hospitals he went to, the schools he went to, his employers, his jobs, his relatives, his friends. And I suspect that uh, Oswald, unfortunately, is not an isolated case. When you see the amount of resources of the CIA and other agencies, they probably have thousands of people that they groom from birth basically for a disposable
0: asset asset
3: whenever they want.
0: And what these people don't realize and should realize is if you are among these so-called selected individuals that are uh, being groomed, and you think, and, and, you know, they're telling you all of these things, the great things you're going to do, the groom that they're grooming you for, and you're going to help them out. I mean, like the way like they told Oswald. Oswald never, in his wildest imagination, thought that he was going to become the patsy, no. and that he then was going to be uh, assassinated as part of the plan by. Uh, Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby. Mm-hmm. and Jack Ruby certainly never thought that the next no. thing that was going to happen to him was that he he was going to be done away with. Mm-hmm. So it's far too
1: convoluted, and Machiavellian and pure evil.
0: And all the shooters that you talked about, you know, the various people who were involved, uh, who then got bumped off because they became liabilities. You know, in these kinds of circles, these people they all think they're exceptions. Mm-hmm. They all think that you know it's it's not me. I am not going to be. Done away with after mm-hmm. they use me, but that's that's what they do. They use them and throw them away like Kleenex. And if they would even realize that, and just say, you know, we're not going to participate in this sort of thing anymore. Uh, we're not going to be tools for this kind of, uh, of of an oligarchy that just uses people and chews them up because you know we're just henchmen, we're just uh, gophers, we're just disposable assets then the whole thing would come to a screeching halt. I mean, it's like the thing is that if, if soldiers laid down their gun and, and refused to fight, there would be no more wars. You know, if, the, if these soldiers, these assets of these CIA secret plots would just, you know, refuse to participate anymore, or if they would start exposing their spy masters. I mean, I think there should be a website set up where... You know, if you know anybody who's in the CIA or, you know, a rogue cop who's been violent or, you know, used uh, tasers on people or uh, you know, a government official who's uh, corrupt and and has committed crimes, there should be a website kind of like, you know, WikiLeaks or something where, you, where these people can be exposed and listed. You know, people should know their names and addresses,
3: mm-hmm. where they live. And I think you, for this action to be successful, you need to reach a critical mass, enough people doing this move at the same time because... In GFK story, you can see several CIA assets. We mentioned uh, Demore and Shield, there is also the Jim and Elsie Cotwill, ex-CIA agent, who defected, who saw the the evil of CIA and started to speak out. But those people, and that's heartbreaking in the GFK story, you see those people start speaking up. You know, they get Mm neutralized, they get killed because they are so alone, so isolated. But there yeah, are exceptions to the rule.
1: That's why, anybody, that's why there's so few of them today. Because anybody uh, today who has even... Uh, well, that's why there's none today. Anybody who has any plans or thoughts that they might reveal secret information that could do some serious damage or expose the, the nature of the beast, uh, they probably are smart enough to do a little bit of research if they don't know it already. And they see a 60 or 70 year long uh, tradition of people in their position very quickly meeting with an untimely end so you can understand why there's really no one today and I'm leaving out Edward Snowden here.
0: Well look at uh, all the people who claim to be so-called whistleblowers I mean there what do they say there are entire websites that are devoted to all these whistleblowers and we know perfectly well that whistleblowers uh... that are really blowing the whistle on something really serious that can get any kind of legs, that can get any kind of media coverage uh... they don't last very long no. and or they don't get out at all because well, i think they do some kind of profiling they must do profiling to know who may or may not absolutely. do that and you know that person they may even select them to be whistleblowers to attract attention to the wrong things, mm-hmm. disinform people. Edward Snowden, for example. <laughs> <laughs> Julian, Assange. Edward
1: Snowden. Edward Snowden. Julian well, Assange. Julian Assange. Julian Assange, WikiLeaks.
2: In this, in this train of thought, um, JFK was like the ultimate whistleblower. It, this is the way I think of it anyway. If you look at his speeches and what he was saying, from the beginning, boom, he, he wasn't just saying things that would irritate the powers that be. He was... Informing people, so he gets up there, his first talk on U.S. foreign policy, particularly related to Latin America. And the first thing he says is, "I want to apologize on behalf of the American people for all the stuff we've done to you over the past ten years." This hadn't been this hadn't been broken yet. The American people had no idea of all the subterfuge huge and pe- people being overthrown, democracy mm-hmm. being subverted across Latin America to that point. So JFK, in saying, he he was doing several things at once by getting up there and apologizing. He was indicating, heralding a new foreign policy, apologizing, of course. And he was informing people. And at the same time, he was sticking it to the CIA and everyone else. Mm -hmm. The things are going to change here. Mm -hmm.
3: He he was more than the whistleblower because in addition to these uh, great speeches, he was uh, following the speeches with uh, Axe. With yeah. decision, with groundbreaking decisions. Let's just listen to one on here.
4: We need a permanent unemployment insurance program so that there those who want to work, those who want to work and can't find a job, will not be shifted and living on a marginal income without hope for themselves. These are things which other countries in Western Europe did 30 or 40 years ago. Great Britain, and we regard ourselves as a progressive society, had these provisions at the time of the First World War. And yet this is suggested as a most radical proposal. We have to, in the next eight years, build as many school buildings as we build in our entire history. And yet, we have found it extremely difficult to secure support for this vital program.
1: We cannot leave
4: the 17 million people who have retired and who may become ill. If they have no money under the legislation now in the books, they have a chance to receive some as indigents. But that is not the way we believe it should be done. And if their son happens to have some money in the bank, they do not qualify. And he goes and pays out, and it may break him at a time when he has responsibilities to his children. Why it is so difficult to secure passage of a minimum wage paying somebody in interstate commerce a dollar or a dollar 10 or 15 cents, I do not understand. But it is regarded in some circles as highly radical and highly inflationary. For the first time, unemployed men can retire at 62. For the first time, and I do not regard this as a particularly radical proposal, dependent children can receive aid for the first time in our history without the wage earner deserting his family. In the old days, before this act was passed, if a child was undernourished, it was necessary for the wage earner to desert his wife and family in order that those children should qualify for assistance. But last year that was changed.
5: The president's willingness to abandon tradition was responsible, in part, for his failure to succeed with the business community, in spite of efforts at conciliation. I don't remember the figures exactly, but the
4: president was not uh, uh, extremely popular in Texas, nor was he in the country. I am delighted to have a chance to say a few words about this administration's policy, which has been the subject of a good deal of discussion, acrimony, and controversy on wages and prices and profits. Now I know there are some people who say that this isn't any business of the President of the United States, and uh, that uh, what uh, and who believe that the President of the United States should be the honorary chairman of a great fraternal organization and confine himself to ceremonial functions. But that isn't what the Constitution says. And I did not run for President of the United States to fulfill that. Uh, office in that way. Harry Truman once said there are 14 or 15 million Americans who have the resources to have representatives in Washington to protect their interests, and that the interests of the great mass of the other people, 150 or 60 million, is the responsibility of the President of the United States, and I propose to fulfill it. then I believe it is the business of the President of the United States to concern himself with the general welfare and the public interest. And if the people feel that it is not, then they should secure the services of a new President of the United States.
1: Pretty smart right there, you know. (laughs) My job as president is to work for the people. If you don't want me to work for you, then get someone else. Yeah, what's yeah, I th- the answer th- going
0: be? I think if if you really want to assess John Kennedy, you know, despite what the defamers and slanderers and libelers write about him, I think you need to listen to his own words and then look at the actions, look at the legislation, look at the plans and programs he put into place. You know, make your own decision based on that, you know, the same as you would make your decision about Julius Caesar, based on his words and his actions, his legislation, and not the slander and defamation because the, the same kinds of programs that John Kennedy tried to implement in the United States of America that led to his assassination are the same kinds of programs that Julius Caesar tried to implement in ancient Rome that led to his assassination. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: exactly. JFK, in his first 300 days, not just him alone, but I imagine most of the creativity and impetus came from him tried to get over 1,000 new pieces of legislation through Congress. Mm-hmm. Only a few succeeded because he was up against yeah. you know, such resistance. He but was up against an oligarchy. Yeah. But as far as he was concerned, he, that statement where he says the President of the United States is not the honorary chairman of some paternal organization, that is another example of him spilling Buck- the beans Buck- because, Buck- because he is yeah. revealing and informing
1: the people at the same mm-hmm. time.
2: He's saying this is what the powers that be
1: Expect it to be. If you listen to his quote, his speeches and some of the things he says, and he says it in a very subtle uh, kind of, um, you know, sometimes uh,
0: not so subtle. Well,
1: not so subtle, but in terms of what he's talking about, his words are loaded, and and there is but he's saying it to the people in a way that is hinting to them what's really going on and what they themselves feel. And he's saying this has to change, and I'm going to change it. And he's not, and he doesn't want to be too inflammatory or. You know, he's not going to expose the evildoers because he, realize, he realizes that would bring, you know, the harm to hell uh, after him. But he does it in a way that gets the people on his side. And this is very similar to what, um, when you're talking about Caesar, what Caesar realized, uh, where he realized his power base lay and who he had to essentially court and, and appeal to. Forget about all the cronies and the, and the oligarchs and the psychos in power. Focus on the people and get them on your side. And this is what he believed was the way that he would push through change by saying, listen, you mightn't like it, oligarchs, but there's 160, 60, 70 million Americans who all say yes. What are you going to do? You live in a democracy, right? At least you say so. So you got to go with it, right? This is the pressure he was putting on it. And they did not like that. They did not like that kind of a a maneuver being done on them. And that was... uh, and that manifested in their extreme viciousness
0: what about the, in the
1: way that they killed them.
0: What about the speech he made about we are surrounded by a,
1: a, a monolithic a, and ruthless
2: conspiracy? A
0: monolithic yeah. and ruthless conspiracy. He, he
2: got that in. That was in a context of a discussion on communism. Yeah. So He slipped he, it in. He, 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 it was easy to pass off and be understood by those who are so brainwashed about communism and yeah. saying oh yeah yeah, yeah they were not in going yeah, yeah yeah but if you listen carefully to what he's really saying
1: well listen to <laughs> I, listen to what else he says this is a short one what else he said and he said this uh, very often about uh, the Soviet Union
4: political development to build the new institutions of peace that both sides begin anew the quest for peace before the dark powers of destruction unleashed by science engulf all humanity it is therefore our intention to challenge the soviet union not to an arms race but to a peace race let us call a truce to terror the logical place to begin is a treaty assuring the end of nuclear tests of all kinds in every environment under workable control we also proposed a mutual ban on atmospheric testing without inspection or control in order to save the human race from the poison of radioactive fallout. Together, we shall save our planet or together we shall perish in its flames.
3: Uh, one point, but he mentions the nuclear test ban, and it's a good example. A good leader can only reach, can, you, can you only make a better world a reality with the support of people. That is is only a lie. And for this nuclear test ban, in the beginning senators' ratio was one senator for the ban versus 25 senators against the ban. Mm-hmm. then Kennedy started a major public campaign informing people, using celebrities, some medias to inform the people, to make them aware. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, even US population was against the ban. But after this communication campaign, there was a major shift in the public opinion. And the elected ones, the senators, followed the public opinion. Because it was difficult to go against such a such a popular tide and in the end US voted for the nuclear test
0: ban but it took you know a lot of effort on his part it took a lot of you know lobbying on his part to get the backing to promote the test ban and that is probably one of the bene- most beneficial things that could have been done because our planet has been literally poisoned with radioactive fallout i mean you could you could say that all the all the blame that gets put on smoking for uh, for cancer for lung cancer is probably due primarily to the radioactive fallout in the atmosphere from the endless Two, nuclear tests that have been going on since
3: 2051 nuclear test since 1945 2051
0: that's poisoning our planet and he was trying to stop the poisoning of our planet and trying to stop the terrorism mm-hmm. and Getting and like you just said, the people in the beginning because they'd been propagandized were against the test ban, and then with information and with uh, you know media common support, common sense, he managed to turn the tide, which then turned the opinion of the uh, of, of the Congress people, and by the same token, in our present time, there are all of these. P- all of these people in Congress and in the presidency. And at at this point, I don't even know if they care about what the people think because the people are really against a lot of things that Congress is doing, but they don't seem to care anymore. They've learned that they don't have to care, that they can Mm -hmm. do what they damn well please. And unless people start really in mass waking up and acting, you know, together as one to put pressure on their Congress people and I, You know, I'm saying this, but at the same time, I know that, you know, the Congress people know also that they don't get elected by the people. They get elected by who counts the votes. So they're not even worried about whether their constituents are satisfied with their uh, services or not. Mm -hmm. So something has to be done about that. You you, you know, the problem has compounded itself in the days since Kennedy was elected. So we're basically facing an almost... An almost insurmountable difficulty and it's going to take a, a whole lot of waking up and acting together in concert it's going to take demonstrations it's probably going to take some blood because you know people look, look at the anonymous uh, group and the Occupy movement and how that got shut down and taken over very quickly um, these are people that you know really were seeing what was going on and it was building and growing and then they turned it into a violent affray and banned it and you know broke it up but that's the kind of thing that they were afraid of that's the kind of thing they are afraid of that people will actually do that and it'll actually grow and it'll get bigger and then they won't be able to break it up that's what the, that's what needs to happen
3: one of the most one of the main differences between Caesar and GFK I think is that after Caesar's death there was this mass um, anger within the population But after JFK's death, there was sadness, a lot of sadness, but I didn't see this legitimate anger as if people had been desensitized from this uh, essential emotion.
0: Well, what Caesar had, the JFK didn't have. Caesar was a general. He had an army. He had many legions. What did he have, like 11, 12, however however many legions, that of faithful soldiers who loved him and had been with him for 10, 10 years or more. And when he was assassinated, all of those soldiers were near Rome, in Rome, around Rome. And they were basically, they, they followed Augustus, who was Octavian at the time. And, you know.
1: Well, the big difference between C- Julius and Caesar, it w- I don't think it was so much that uh, people had been desensitized to anger. It was that uh, with Caesar, a lot of people knew who the culprits were. Um
0: so that was pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah.
1: But with with JFK people were sold uh, via propaganda and the media and people like Walter Cronkite uh sold a lie uh that it was Oswald and then Oswald was dispatched less than forty eight hours. He was he was removed from the scene and people supposedly had to uh, accept that as resolution to their Yeah,
0: you know, they were the angry issue. at Oswald.
1: Sacrificed. And they sacrificed the scapegoat. Yeah. yeah.
0: So they sacrificed yeah. forget so the finger. Was...
1: But yeah. it's I mean in in on in, in other speeches, um like the last one we just heard, uh J F K talks about uh calling a truce to terror. And he says that on a few different occasions, you know, and he's referring directly to the kind of the Cold War and the threat of uh nuclear Armageddon but and that, and he calls that terror, rightfully so. It's terrorizing the population. He wants to call an end to it. Uh and it's just interesting that uh, to compare that to what has happened over the past 10, 10 or 15 or 20 years where the, his, his descendants, his, 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 not his descendants, but his, the people who took power after him, i.e. the presidents and the cabal of the power elite in the US, did precisely the opposite. They, they called for terror. They, they, they used it. terror and introduced terror and terrorism and a war on terrorism uh, to, to control the population. Um, I mean, what JFK was espousing was in so direct um, contrast to what has happened since uh, he was assassinated. Um, And like we were discussing earlier, it's not that they took over after he was assassinated. They were already in power. And he was the last opportunity, it seems, looking at history from our vantage point. He was the last opportunity to... Stop that! Tide. Stop the rot! Stop the rot and turn the tide. And, uh, and it was impossible. And since then, what those people have done is, you know, literally and figuratively, um, kind of destroy the planet. They've done it literally by poisoning and killing people all over the world through their greed and excess. And they have destroyed uh, people's life livelihoods or people's ideas of a, of a of a decent humane society where they people can live i mean just look at the world around you and look at america for example and what's happened in america in particular you know I mean, the kind of society that is there now compared to what jfk was espousing you know you have that story just recently it's one of many obviously but you know policemen shooting at a minivan full of children because the mother didn't want to accept a a ticket for speeding she was speeding 20 miles an hour over the limit and they pulled her over and wanted to get her out of the car and she didn't want to get out of the car so the cop went back to his police car and she just decided to drive off so they went in a high speed chase and then dragged her out and she took her off again and, they, and she had four kids four or five kids in the car as young as six years old and the police fired live rounds on the car right right mm-hmm. behind it i mean for a speeding ticket and, shooting
0: uh, at people for a speeding ticket
1: that's what's happening yeah
0: that's it's just it's freaking unbelievable
1: so i mean things would have been so so much different i mean in that one of those speeches we just heard we just heard that um gfk was talking about he was referring to european countries he mentioned england and, and european countries in terms of social welfare that they've had it since 1914 he was what he was planning to do was to essentially give Probably Social free healthcare, care free free health care free education uh, You know unemployment you know benefits for sick people and ill people and people who couldn't work and Just create as best he could uh, a humane decent egalitarian society and spread it down from the top and enforce it even against people who didn't want to do it because they had been polarized or twisted or the, the twisted elements in society they were going to have to accept a decent, humane society, and America could have been. In the, imagine what would have happened in, in those what is 50 years to today if that had been allowed to happen. The problem, though, is he, he would have had eight years at most. Well, and how do you ensure? He would have had eight years, and then Robert would have had eight years. Yeah,
2: 16 maybe 16 years?
1: years would have done a lot. 16 years could have done yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that would have been hard to overturn if they had 16 yeah. years to Im- impose a certain... Uh, and, but unfortunately, like was often said and often referred to in, in the case of Caesar, in hindsight, for him or Bobby to actually have done that, they would unfortunately have had to eliminate in some way the people around them that had become entrenched in positions of power. So there well, would have had to have been a calling. How well. else were you going Because those people were going to ki- I mean, if he became aware that they were going to kill him, what was he going to do about it? Mm. The the way he was
2: playing it was he was he was firing them. Yes, yeah. well that's that's what got, got him killed. killed,
1: and that's that's morally. But, uh, but that wasn't enough. But that's what got him killed. He fired Alan Dulles, a mm-hmm. director of the CIA, and he fired uh, the number two general, Gen- General Cabell, who was deputy CIA director. And General Cabell was the brother of the mayor of Dallas, oh, who Cabell. was there the other day that JFK was killed. So I mean, there was a conspiracy against him by all these people who were in positions of power.
0: And he because was he picked them off. Away. He was
1: taking them prisons away because they weren't fulfilling their duties to the people responsibly. <laughs> and he said, okay, you're, you don't have the job anymore. And for that, that wasn't enough. Because they killed him for doing that. I wonder if, I mean, he,
2: there, he supposedly, he's supposed to have said, you know, yeah, whatever, if they kill me, they kill me. No, You know, to have had it in the back of his mind that his time was short. But I do
0: wonder if, if even he...
2: If I'm looking back at it now, it's very risky have to shoot a
0: guy psychopathy. He couldn't have understood psychopathy.
2: Maybe not, but but he, I suspect his brother did. He said something about Lyndon Johnson, but
0: well, yeah, he figured it out pretty quick when that happened. He realized how for, how completely sick and how completely desperate and how completely evil these people were when they killed his brother but this, the here, way they did. Here's what Bobby said about LPJ. This was before.
2: Yes. They,
0: they, they, uh, they were
1: monitoring
3: ...the House Senate uh, not to go ahead with the investigation. Yeah.
4: There's a photograph that I published in Texas in the morning, and the White House uh, photographer told, you can see that Lyndon lost a uh, composure at the time. Uh, Bobby hits a post, and he has something in his hand, and Lyndon is real shocked, and the uh,
0: photographer said, that Kenneth, uh, Robert Kennedy, said to him, "Why did you have my brother killed?"
4: Our president was the, uh, the
0: gentleman and the
4: human being. This man is it not. Yeah. he's mean, bitter,
0: vicious animal in many ways. I think he's got this other side of him in his relationship with human beings, which make it very difficult. Unless you want to kiss his behind all the time, he's able to eat people up.
4: I understand that, you know, he sends all kinds of reports over to you to, about me and about the Department of Justice. Not any that I've seen. Well, well, I just understand that. That uh, he's about to be planning and plotting things. But he hasn't he sent me a report on you or on the department. Anytime. I had understood that he had had uh, sent reports over about me,
2: no, no. the overthrow of the government by force and violence. No, no. Feeding no. to No. That's a, that's a, that's an error. He never said that or indicated or given any, any uh, indication of it. As I say, we'll all get through.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll talk to you on day too. So that that second part was Bobby talking to LBJ about uh, Hoover. Mm. saying that he had heard reports that Hoover was spying on him and accusing him, sending over reports that Bobby was trying to overthrow the government via a violent coup. That LBJ was. No, I think he said that me Bobby. sending it, of course, because I was sending it over. But the first part of it was Bobby talking about LBJ. <laughs> so saying he violent, he's saying he's a vicious, mean, bitter animal. animal. He's an animal, really, and eats people up. I mean, what are you going to do with someone like that? I mean, you can't just fire them. Well, yeah. Someone who's in a position of power with that nature and has contacts and can organize things and, and has the big oil man and uh, people in the industry and in the military and stuff, if you fire them, you're dead. That's a very, trick, that's a very tricky question because if you want to lead a,
3: a truly populist policy I mean, in favor of the people and uh, you're surrounded with a psychopath, what do you do? If you leave them in power, you won't be implemented to, to, to reach your goal? If you fire them you make enemies and you die. So how do you deal with that?
0: psychopathic environment? And, and you can't them the same, way they, the same way they would do you because then that reduces you to their level. Exactly. But, but I mean it's like what Caesar did. Caesar had this policy of forgiveness, clemency. Mm-hmm. You know those people who were against him, he forgave them, he gave them jobs, he gave them uh, honors, He gave, and, and they are the, the ones that he gave the most to are the ones who killed him. Yeah, because it wasn't enough.
1: Because they wanted control of the people. They wanted the people poor and in servitude to them. And if a leader comes along and says, I'm going to raise the people up, well, then you immediately uh, provoke the ire of these people who have been abusing and exploiting the people. So
0: it comes down to the question, you know, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, look at poor Chavez. (laughs) I mean, he couldn't, you know, anything he did that blocked the activity of the psychopaths that were trying to destroy his people's revolution he was blamed for being uh, a demagogue, demagogue, blamed for being uh, anti-democratic, whatever and there was a whole a whole bunch of slander because it's it's like he was damned if he did and damned if he didn't if he didn't take care of them they would kill him which they probably did fast growing cancer and if he did nothing about them
1: the, the analogy is wolves in sheep's clothing yeah. and the wolves saying we're sheep too and why, why are you excluding us uh, because you're being anti-democratic and a demagogue, you're excluding, excluding us from the sheep pen but you're the one, who you see that these, these are wolves in sheep's clothing and you see that the people… So what do you do? So I mean you, you have to, you're going to have to appear as excluding them as wolves from the sheep pen. But the ordinary people, a lot of them don't recognize that they're wolves in sheep's clothing.
0: I think the only answer is for somebody who's in that position to really be a whistleblower even more than JFK was, to really expose who is, who did what, bring out their dirty laundry, you know, really let the people know, and then let the people decide what to do. Because, you know, sometimes the wisdom of the people and the activity of the people, um, you know, is the right answer. Let the people do it. Let the people decide.
3: And you need the awareness of the people also to stop falling in the traps set by the, by the medias, by all the,
0: right. so you the have psychopathic to educate
3: voices. Them. You have to educate them because a leader alone in a polarized world is nothing. Yeah. Or ends up like uh,
1: JFK. I also. think that would have been an alternative for him to collect information and to just you know, wait for a certain time and just dump it all. And then say, I've done the best I can do. If you want to preserve your own life type of thing, you don't want to sacrifice your life for it, then the best you could do is not try and fire these people and institute a a kind of utopian society. You realize that's not going to work. The best thing you can do is, as Laura was saying,
0: just try
1: and expose as much truth about the nature of the system and the world as possible, and then just get out of Dodge.
0: Yeah, just just dump it all out there. I mean... uh uh do a real Edward Snowden, you know, not a well, not a fake Edward Snowden. Hmm. Really get the scoop out there, uh really pour it out there and uh take your bodyguards and go to your
1: island
2: retreat. Yeah. He he did do something very direct on the 2nd of October 1963. Well, it was indirect, but still the message was pretty clear for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. There was a, an op-ed in the New York Times written by a journalist who was pretty well known, very well known at the time, Arthur Kroc, and would have been understood in Washington circles as a close confidant of the administration.
0: JFK spokesman.
2: Basically, yeah. yeah. And he wrote an article and it was titled The Intra-Administration War in Vietnam. Here's a couple of snippets. Um, so he's speaking. This is basically JFK speaking through Arthur Crock. The CIA's growth was likened to a malignancy, which the very high official, which was really JFK, was not sure even the White House could control any longer. If the United States ever experiences an attempt at a coup to overthrow the government, it will come from the CIA and not the Pentagon. The agency represents a tremendous power and total unaccountability to anyone representatives of other executive branches have expanded their war against the CIA from the inner government councils to the American people via the press exactly what this article was doing there was a war going on inside the administration and we're we're battling for for people's minds here we're hanging on by a thread you know that's the most he could that's what he was saying
0: and and the thing is is that since those times uh, the CIA is kind of in second place now and the nsa is top dog so they were having they were trying to gain control over the cia and they did and then they gained control over the presidency everything
3: if you look at gfk mandate by far i think his first enemy was the cia when you see the cuban missile crisis the build of the, the Pig, uh, vietnam or laos in congo um, all the time, in front of him, I mean, hidden, there are CIA agents working to set him up, to put him in a trap, to put him in a bad light, to make his plan fail, to make it unfeasible.
2: All along, all the time. Yeah, In the 1950s, the CIA had Operation Mockingbird, in which thousands, thousands apparently, of U.S. journalists, Broadcasters, anchors, anyone working in media, was either witting or wit or knowingly, unwittingly or knowingly, an asset of the CIA. And they were basically reading out what the CIA wanted the nation to hear. This was established. This is it, the system into which JFK arrived. Bureaucracy mm. was already congealed
1: in the US at that point. Yeah, and all the polls today. Uh... Polls are usually distorted and distorted and in favor of the the establishment. But all the polls can't even, because there's such a an overwhelming number of people who realize what happened just based on the, the simple evidence, realize that there was a conspiracy to kill JFK. Polls since then, in the last 50 years, have repeatedly all shown that the vast majority of Americans still think, that there was a cover-up, and that it wasn't Oswald.
0: I think it was 87% recently.
1: Yeah.
0: That uh, 87% of the American people believe that there was a conspiracy to assassinate John Kennedy, and it did not include Lee Harvey Oswald, Mm -hmm. that he was only the patsy.
1: So, in a way, people didn't react at the time against this crime that was committed against them but they can still react today i mean it's 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 50 years ago but surely with that knowledge people should at least be you know uncomfortable with the state of of, of politics
0: well the problem and the is, is people are afraid to do things because they're afraid to be uncomfortable in their personal lives they're afraid that if they You know, get involved in uh, political action or in protest action, whatever that they – and, of course, the government, you know, makes makes the threat covertly or overtly that if you do this, you know, look what we have. We have Mm. tasers. We Mm. have prisons. We can disappear you to Guantanamo Bay. We can torture you. I mean, they made the whole torture thing pretty clear because that was designed to terrorize the American people. This mm-hmm. is what we can do to you, mm-hmm. too. Yep. We can, you know, render you to some prison in in Morocco or Poland or wherever and, and torture the heck out of you. And that's what will happen to you if we decide to pick you up. But the thing is, is that if people acted in mass, I mean, really in mass, they would not have enough planes. They would not have enough prisons. They would not have enough torturers and if And if people acted in mass, even government employees could walk out of the job i mean what if what if the the people who work for the power companies decided to shut down all the power to the government office buildings? What if they decided to shut down all the water to the government office buildings? What if the the people you know the the clerical workers, the secretaries the the gophers the you know low level administrators what if they just walked out of all their jobs? What if they just turned off their computers? what if you know, what if they just refused to support this system any longer? Then those that one percent or fraction of one percent that's in power, that is actually doing this, that's actually planning and executing all of this, they would be helpless.
3: Yeah, and there's a major lie in the in the statement pronounced by the elite, according to which, if you comply, you would be allowed to continue a comfortable life. Because
0: yeah, it's not as true. A,
3: as a matter of fact. When you see the evolution or devolution over the last years, the de- past decades, people comply. People comply in general, actually, and the quality of life keeps dropping. and, and they are going, they are aware or not they are going straight into the wall. So
0: they, they have nothing to lose. To make slaves actually. out of you and to terrorize you and to turn your children into slaves and to make you beg for food. And if they really like you and if you're a good enough slave and if you kiss their boots. You know, enough times they might let you have a little food to eat and maybe a place to live that's I mean it's just like it's just like the low-level uh, patsies in these conspiracies they become liabilities they bump them off do you really think that they're gonna let you continue to live any kind of a decent life if you're a middle-class person I mean the middle class has become the poor class the poor class is not even on the radar anymore and this has just happened in the last 13 years.
3: And even being a good slave will not be enough because one trait, one of the main traits of psychopaths, that is never enough. The violence, the power, the wealth is always more and more. And how and do you get enjoy, more? By oppressing more.
0: They enjoy watching people suffer. Yeah. So they're going to make you suffer mm-hmm. whether you're good or not, whether you mind your own business or not, whether you comply with their, their will or not. They are going to make you suffer because they enjoy it.
2: I think JFK, well, he wasn't being rhetorical. We know that in hindsight when he said either we get our stuff together and we commit to world peace. And I mean that in the most practical sense. We actually start to care for one uh, one another or we're going to perish in the flames. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what's going on around you, fireballs are raining out of the sky, people. JFK probably didn't have any awareness of of cyclical catastrophes, but he was touching something so true. If you do not overthrow in some way, at least in terms of not believing the lie anymore, the cosmos will help you.
0: The cosmos will take you out too.
1: Yeah, well, people should take his word for it because he was in a position to see just how psychopathic and evil... The system system was at the time, and he could see where it was going. Ordinary people don't see it; don't get that insight. So you take his word for it, because he saw it, and he was trying to change it. He realized, and his words were inspired by his view, his vision, or seeing exactly what was going on. So I mean, you know, we don't people don't have access to that kind of information, and and don't get to, to know the facts, the smoking gun details and stuff. But you know, we try to figure it out. But someone in his position knew, and if he said it, it's, that was, that's what was happening. And it's got 10 times, I don't know, 100 times worse since in the last 50 years. It's just compounded itself, and it's got to the point where, yeah, I mean... Yeah, you know, in, uh, when uh, GFK
3: was making good progress in stopping the Cold War, Life magazine, I think, had a headline which stated... If peace happens, what will happen to business? I think it's a good summary of the state of mind of the psychopathic elites. The life of human beings, of cannon fodders, is nothing, it's accessory. What matters is power and wealth. And when you think about it, this uh, business thing, what will happen to business if peace happens? On a national scale, it means less bomb and more schools. It's simple, no loss.
0: It means social insurance but, yeah. and, and and no drones.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, less stress. But,
0: less stress. It means uh, people having people, food on their tables. It means uh, uh, people getting educated and being able to develop things scientifically and, and,
3: and uh, on the national level and also on an international level, we see we can see that those wars are just neo-colonialism wars to loot the resources of the target country. So it's more. Inequality is the destruction of people, is the destruction of resources in foreign countries.
0: Yeah. So we spend all of our resources. To
3: enrich U.S. elites.
0: Yeah, the elites. Because when, you
3: because know, people it, don't used to, get it.
0: it used to be when an army went to war, they would go and get a lot of booty and then they would spread the booty out among the soldiers. The soldiers got something, you know. Now they go to war and they spread the booty out among the you know, 1% of the elites, the uh, military-industrial complex, uh, the, you know, maybe some generals. Mining companies, some, oil the companies. Congress people, you know, because they, you know, they get to be on the boards of the directors of these companies that are building the war machines. They're building the munitions. They're building the planes. They're building the drones, you know. So they get to make tons of money and all of the money that you pay in taxes that should be going to build schools, to build roads to build infrastructure, to provide everybody with good, clean, fresh water for free, to provide everybody with electricity for free, to provide everybody with you know health insurance, with good health care, with good educations for your children without your children being burdened with a student loan for the rest of their, their working life. But all of that money is being spent on killing other people and taking their stuff and giving it to the elite, not to you. They're taking you know, your money. It's-
1: it's absolutely horrible when you think about it just in, in basic terms. In an ordinary human society, certain people have certain proclivities, you know. Uh, some people are more adept at uh, certain tasks or take an interest in certain, you know, certain jobs or they're inclined in different ways. In an ordinary society, one, and in a modern society, if it was based on a, a, a humane kind of a group society, you would have someone who could be a doctor and you'd have someone who was a carpenter. And that's a f- perfectly uh, fair and equitable exchange, for example, that when the carpenter is sick, the person who has specialized or researched medicine would tend to him when the carpenter makes the chairs for the doctor, right? I mean, what's wrong with that? That's human society. People share their gifts and, uh, in a community together. But like in the U.S., for example, there are people, there are woodworkers or carpenters who are denied the ability or the access to their fellow human being who knows how to cure them of a, of a disease or to fix up their wound by the elite, by this, this cabal of psychopaths who say, no, you doctor cannot help that person who is, is sick because, because he has no his, medical insurance. Because we don't get money for it. It was what it comes down to. Yeah, Because if you give him it for, it for free, we won't make money from you doing that. I mean, that's such an obligation of of basic human rights in terms of an individual, a sovereign individual saying, I'm a doctor and I want to help people. I want to be able to help people. I I have gifts. But people have been ponderized and convinced themselves that that's the way it should work, that the doctor shouldn't give his his uh, services to someone in, in, in fair exchange, or... and of
0: course, the person who makes the chairs, he can't really start a business and make any money making chairs because, because a... he's going to be taxed into oblivion because he's not working for a big corporation on a pittance that makes him unable to afford good health insurance coverage so that he can get the doctor to care for. Him. I mean, everything funnels through the corporations
3: mm-hmm. and feeds and, the
0: elite. And feeds the elite. Everything.
3: And workers in the world today, they sweat their blood, their time, their life is dedicated to get a miserable wage and this money goes through taxes or purchase of goods from multinational companies in the pocket of the elites that use the money, this money to oppress the very people And what who is- give this money it's as if you're in jail, your slave in jail and all of your money instead of using it to free yourself or to live your life, you use it to maintain the cell, you're imprisoned in. That's yeah. the irony of the current and, yeah, world. Yeah,
0: and, it, and what, is ta- what are taxes? Taxes are a protection racket. Mm-hmm. You pay us your money or we'll break your legs. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Pretty much. Because you don't get anything for your taxes. It, it's basically pay us your money or we'll break your legs. Not pay us your money and we'll give you infrastructure, health care, education, food, water, electricity and a decent lifestyle. It's... It's not that. You're not paying taxes for any of that. It's pay us your money or we'll break your legs.
2: Mm. And now it's pay us your money and we'll pay the bankers their bonus. We promise them because they're in trouble.
0: Yeah. Yeah, think, and we'll break your legs.
1: And we'll break your yeah, Thinking about um, Oswald. He was a patsy. You know, he was sold a lie. He didn't know until the end when he actually said when he was in the Dallas police station he, sh- he shouted to reporters, I'm just a patsy. Uh, he didn't realize what was coming a few hours later, but he realized he was be- he'd been set up, he'd been lied to, and he'd been set up and used as a patsy. And in a way...
0: Uh, Oswald is America.
1: Uh, pretty much we're all patsies. We've all been lied to and, and sold a-, a bullshit line about what's going to happen and how we're going to be taken care of and how this is going to happen and this is going to happen. But in the end, we're all ultimately going to be bumped off by the elite in one way or another yeah
0: and that's what happened thanks to the assassination of John Kennedy and nobody demanding the truth nobody demanding a real investigation nobody rising up against this criminal gang that took over the United States people you have been ruled by criminals the lowest life, filthiest, most disgusting human being types in existence.
1: Racists come as the animals as that tales. will
0: eat you up.
3: And those animals play the only role they can play. You don't change psychopaths. So the only thing we can change is ourselves. Stop believing the lies, seeing the truth and acting upon the truth because they will not change and until the end of the world they will oppress us
1: more and more and on that note folks I think we're going to leave it there for this week we've just about got to our time limit so thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed the show our chatters were as usual chatting and having all sorts of fun we'll be back next week another show that, as usual we haven't figured out what it's going to be yet but <laughs> it'll a be problem. a good one so until then good night Goodbye. Good night. Have have a good one.